Okay, are we are we are we're, we live? We're live. I think we are. <laughs> hey, Henry. Yeah, we're live. Hi, Asa. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm trying my very very best to keep warm, but I am excited to talk about the LSAT today. Hello, everybody. I'm Henry Ewing. I'm joined by my co-host and wonderful boss, Asa. <laughs> Hello, Henry. So over the next six months, we're going to be walking through like every stage of the studying process and breaking down the different sections. If you're starting today, start with this episode and over the next six months, hopefully you'll be have all the information that you need for test day. So we'll be going over different tips and tricks for studying, how to break down the different sections, some things that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to the tasks that are super important to be focusing on. And we'll also be bringing JY on a couple of times to answer questions, talk about his experience with the tasks. And also, I think it's just kind of fun to talk to JY, like he's the legend of the LSAT world. He's the man. I can't get enough of his voice. I should also add <laughs> that no matter where you're at and you're studying, each one of these episodes will have something to you. They say a master is not someone who knows the fanciest trick, but someone who has practiced the fundamentals a thousand times. You said they say that? Who's who's they? Who says that? Asa. They do. They say it. Don't worry about <laughs> okay, it. Okay. Okay. Stop asking you. questions. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. But every single episode, we'll kind of break down a different part of the task. A couple sample titles that we can kind of clue you guys in on is Dr. LSAT, How to Diagnose Problems categories and why Henry hates Ohio. I think that one's fun. And Henry, do you want to share your favorite podcast title? Well, I, yes, uh, <laughs> I really, we, we have, we have a, a shake that assumptions, which will be quite fun. <laughs> well, I had another idea. What was the, what was the other one that got cut? I guess we, we can't say that'll always be, that'll be just be a mystery. Train your instincts for LR yeah. speed running games, logic and showtime. The, the pre-test rundown. Those are just some of the titles that we have planned for you. And not all of them. Some, but not all. Oh, what a great, what a great way to get started. I love yes. that get, get excited for the new podcast. Okay. Let's start. What are we here to talk about today, Asta? Well, let's do this. We are here to talk about how to start studying for the test. Like day one, I've decided I'm going to take it. I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to law school. Where do I start? Everything else in your life has failed. And so now you're studying for the LSAT. Welcome. <laughs> well, essentially, right? Like if you are ready to do this, ready to score the best you possibly can on the test, the very first thing you have to do is start. And I think that's kind of the part that's really daunting to a lot of people. And there's a ton of different material and resources out there. But hopefully we can kind of consolidate all of that and give you everything that you need to really hit the ground running with the test. Yeah, that's kind of what my thought is. So today, we're beginning with the fundamentals, or the most fundamental thing, which is how do you start studying for this test? How do you put together a plan? What does it take? I think a good question to ask to, to begin this is just, what is the LSAT, right? Is it like other tests you've taken? Presumably, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably taken a few standardized tests in your life. But like the SATs, ACTs, things like that. And unfortunately, this test is very different from any other standardized test you've probably taken before, unless you've taken the LSAT before. Because unlike other tests, it's not a test that you are necessarily memorizing material for, right? It, it's not like you can just read a textbook, memorize all the content, and then you're going to get 100 on the LSAT, right? It's, it's more so, in my opinion, a test of habits, right? Like, what are the habits that you've created? What are the mechanisms you've created? And for that reason, Henry, feel free to disagree with me, but this is not the type of test that you can cram for. You can't start studying 
two weeks before test day unless you're some super genius and and expect to do very well. Has that been your experience too? Yeah, I 100% agree. Like Austin said, this is a test of habits. And the question is, well, how do you build a habit? Habits get built over time and and not necessarily just time spent doing the habit, but rather the overall, I, I guess you would call it time. What would you call it? Ooh, like the duration that it's been in your head. A habit that has been in your head for six months is better than a habit that's been in your head for a week, right? I, I think is kind of the best way of putting it. Yeah, a person who has is, is practicing this test, it's better to study for one hour over the course of six days than to just spend one day and studying one hour, if that makes sense. So instead of doing big, large blocks, what we're aiming to do when we're, we're, when we're building a habit, whether it's the LSAT or just anything you, you want to do, maybe you're making your bed. It's not about how well you make your bed one day. It's about building up that consistency of making your bed. But making your bed, not necessary for a good LSAT test. I'm looking at my bed right now, and it is very unmade. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you want a, a picture of my bedroom. Everything else is spotless, though. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I mean, the last thing I kind of want to add about what makes the LSAT different from other tests is, and, and Henry, I'm assuming you feel the same way, but I feel like since I've started studying for the LSAT, my brain has fundamentally changed. And the way that I think about things, <laughs> I mean, like the way that I analyze things and look at things and break things down now is, is, is just markedly different than before I started studying for this test. And I, I really think that if you want to excel on this test, it's about changing your mindset and really changing about the way, changing the way that you think about things and especially changing the way you think about arguments. Yeah. And by the way, that itself is a very rewarding experience, I think, when you, you've studied a lot and you then realize maybe it's one month from now, two months from now, three months from now, you start picking apart a bad argument. Maybe it's in the news or maybe a friend makes a bad argument and you kind of pick it apart and you realize it's maybe not the most logically consistent argument. And that is something that you might not have realized before. And that's a really rewarding process and, and kind of, I don't want to say it's the ultimate goal, but it can be one of the goals. And it's, it's really cool and a really nice feeling. And just on the outset, I think it's good too. And maybe we're going a little off script or topic here. Just having having the right mindset for this test, right? What are you what are you after? Sure, it's nice to get a 175 plus and uh, yeah, I won't lie, that's very nice to get, <laughs> to get a 175 plus. But it's also very rewarding streamlining your thought process. Learning to speak very clearly and make our uh, maybe not speak clearly. I'm not Austin knows. I am not the clearest speaker, but I can make a very concise argument. And and that's a very rewarding experience itself. So when you guys are studying, I encourage all of you to to think this is not really just because I want to get a score on the test and go to a good law school. It's also about shaping your brain in a way that is very consistent and you can live a consistent or at least a big consistent argument. I, I don't live a very consistent life as is, but ultimately it, that, that's a very nice thing. It's a very cool thing as you, as you go through your life. And, and also I don't want to call it like a superpower. That's really cheesy. It kind of is. But you will soon realize just, it, it is very cheesy and you know, I'm already perfect. So why would I need a superpower? But it is very cool walking through the world and, and, and thinking about things and being, I don't want to say you're a skeptic, but you, you begin to be, you, ha, you set a very high bar for what counts as evidence and proof. I don't, at least for me, that's been cool. Has that been your experience? Maybe it sucks. I don't know. Yeah, the world looks all black and white now. <laughs> People around me, potentially. Just that I'm better at breaking down arguments. But I, I do think that... Uh, hey, at least you have friends around you. I think we're friends. You have friends around you. Okay, yeah. I've got my dog. <laughs> but I mean, it all, it, it, the reason it, he sticks around is he can't hear arguments. <laughs> <laughs> 
like when you when you really frame the way that you study for this test around just becoming a better thinker, uh, I think it makes it a lot more fun, honestly. And if you can kind of gamify the test a little bit, I, I think it makes the entire process a little bit more enjoyable. So I think that kind of brings us to our next point of, okay, I, I know what makes the LSAT different. I know what I need to do. I know what needs to change. Where do I start? How do I pick my my resources? And I think one of the biggest things to keep in mind there is it's really important that you pick good resources. Yeah, you totally could spend all of your time on Reddit and learn about the LSAT there. You could watch random YouTube videos from a bunch of different sources and, and try that. But I think having a good quality, consistent resource that you're reaching to for this test is really, really important to not only get better at the test, but to do so efficiently. What do you what do you kind of think about that, Henry? Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like you're describing Sevensage. I, I kind of um, am. I, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this isn't meant to be like a super plug for Seven Sage, which I mean, it, it could be. Seven Sage is great. I used it when I was studying. I'm pretty sure you did too, Henry. It's it's more so just finding, even if you don't pick Seven Sage, right? Like finding one resource that works really well for you, has everything that you need, has all the resources that you could possibly think of, and really sticking to it. And I think that's why Seven Sage works really well for that is you can take your practice test there, you can drill, you can learn content, you can talk to people on the forums. I, I think Seven Sage does a really good job of that. But I would caution against bouncing around different resources all the time and just having, I, I find a lot of people just get like a stack of books from their friends who used to study for the test and just randomly flip through those. I don't know how conducive that is to really studying efficiently. Yeah, no, it, it's it's not at all. One, the terminology is slightly different between different resources. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily. It doesn't mean make one better than the other. It just means that once you make that shift again, you're going to have to go through a small learning curve of, well, what are they talking about? Maybe how do they do this type of problem? Or how do they think about this type of problem? And ideally, the only thing you're learning about on this test is how, how to put together a good argument. You don't want to have to learn the language of Seven Sage or some other book, and then only to, to switch later. The other thing I, I think, and I don't want to say it's, it's underrated, but there is an element I've seen, and this gets talked about online too, on Reddit, I, I hate to admit that I'm on there, <laughs> about how, yes, there are a lot of free resources to take this test. And it's totally, that should be sufficient <laughs> to get a score that you want. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And I think the biggest thing is when you're studying for the test, we've already talked about how important consistency is and, and not trying to cram this test. If you can remove any barrier that would prevent you from studying regularly and consistently, I think that is a good investment to make. So if getting the service or consolidating your resources in one place makes it easier for you to just get started, right? If you've got an hour a day to study, you don't want to be spending the first 15 minutes of that hour just figuring out what to do or figuring out where to go or what you're going to use that day. And I think having a service like Seven Sage or any other test prep program makes that a lot easier so that you don't have to not only go through the hurdle of studying, but also go through the hurdle of figuring out what you're going to use to study. So if you're just starting out, take some time, look into the resources that are out there, spend a little extra time looking at Seven Sage and, and figure out what resource is going to be best for the way that you learn and the way that you want to study for the test. Yeah, of course. And this is with the caveat, of course, if you can afford it, right? If you can't afford it, that's that's totally fine. Use free resources like the Seven Sage podcast. <laughs> but if you have that disposable income, I'd highly recommend not playing life on hard mode. Make your life a little bit easier. It's kind of funny. I was I was tutor at a client and like as tutors, sometimes you're only about the LSAT, but sometimes you deviate a little bit. And in this, this particular client, she needed reading glasses, but she just hadn't spent the time to, to go and get them. And so in my study plan, I literally said, go get reading glasses. <laughs> like, like make your life that much easier. But it's one, not only is that a, a good 
just for your life in general. But if you don't have to strain your eyes to see, as stupid as that sounds, that is easily worth a point. Two points right there. I'm not even kidding. And so just looking at your studying as, hey, what, what can I do to facilitate this very hard challenge? And what will make me most likely to get there in, with the least pain possible? This is how, I, how I'd frame that. I, I totally agree. So we've gone over what makes you all set different, how to pick out your resources, what's the right one for you. I, I think the next thing is really, really focusing on how you're creating a plan and what type of plan you're creating. So the first thing that I want to talk about when it comes to creating a lesson plan is, or a study plan, excuse me, is I, I compare taking the LSAT or studying for the LSAT is learning how to swim. And stick with me here for like a minute here. So if you're trying to learn how to swim, there are a couple of different ways you could go about it, right? You could go watch videos of other people swimming. You could talk to people who are really good swimmers. You could read books about how to swim and, and learn all the words and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you do all of that. I don't think you actually know how to swim. I don't think you know how to swim until you actually get in the pool or get in the water and, and try it out for yourself. So I find that a lot of people with the LSAT will spend a lot of time, right, learning the content, watching the videos, reading the books, talking to people, doing all those things. And all of that is well and good and a great place to start. But at some point in your study plan, you have to find the time to learn how to swim, right? You have to find the time to actually get in the water, right? Do the practice tests, do the drills so that you're actively working on the LSAT. This isn't the type of test like we talked about before where you can just memorize a bunch of things and you're good to go. So however you're creating your study plan, make sure you're not focusing solely on on the videos, the reading, the talking, and you're actually just throwing yourself in the water and, and doing the problem every once in a while. So that's kind of where I, I wanted to start there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's one thing to learn the fundamentals and then dive in, but you can also dive in and learn the fundamentals as you go. So a, a little bit of a little bit of studying up front, practicing the fundamentals, sure, you might have an idea in conceptually what A then B means, but until you literally see it in a problem and start experiencing what that's like turning those sentences into conditionals, you can't really say you have a full understanding of the test. Is that is that correct? Yeah. I totally agree. I, I go over this with my clients a lot. I talk to a lot of people who are, especially they've been studying for a couple of months and they're like, I just don't feel ready to take a practice test. I'm still working through the core curriculum. I'm, I'm still learning this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's great. And you could do that theoretically forever, right? But at one point you just have to pull the trigger and do the practice problem. So a question that I get a lot is at what point should I start taking practice tests? At what point should I start doing actual problems? And here's kind of what a good timeline looks like in my head, where you work through something like the core curriculum on seven stage, where you're learning the foundations, you're learning the fundamentals, and you're doing that until the test no longer feels foreign, I think is a pretty good standard to have, where every kind of part of the test, the different sections that you're working on, the vocabulary that a lot of the questions use, the different question types, passage types, game types, once all of that starts to feel a little bit like you've kind of grasped it, like you can recognize it and you sort of get what it is. I think at that point, you should really start taking problem sets, PTs, things like that. But you really want to start at the beginning, focusing on learning the language of the test, because that's a big one, right? What types of words they use and how they're used. And also how to, you know, use logic and conditional logic and how to map these things out. I think if you focus the beginning of your studying on really mastering those two things, by the time you get started with practice, like actual live practice, you'll be better off. What do you kind of think about that timeline? I 100% agree. I, I would recommend if you are very fresh 
into studying or you have no studying at all, it will be beneficial to spend a little bit of time earlier on initially just understanding like what A then B means. And you don't have to have a perfect understanding. Right? But I guess going back to the swim analogy, you have to be sure that if you jump into the pool, you're not going to drown. And the not drowning element is uh, floating, right? <laughs> Logic is floating in, the, in this swim analogy that we're going with. I would highly recommend before you maybe jump into problems right away, just understand what, what is a conditional. And by the way, we'll be talking about that in a future podcast, talking about conditionals. So you take a look at conditionals, you have an understanding of, of what A then B means. And like you said, you learn the language of the test. And then I would recommend getting that PT in or APT in early. I know in the core curriculum of Seven Sage, that's the recommended thing to do. Well, why would that be recommended? One, I think PTs tend to be a, hum a humbling experience for most people. <laughs> I or, or, or their first PT is a humbling experience for most people. It was definitely humbling for me. I thought I was the smartest person in the world. I still do, by the way. But back then, I thought I was the smartest person in the world. For sure. And then I took a PT and I realized, whoa, I have no idea what's going on at all on this test. It's a very strange thing, too, because in a, in a way, you think you do know. The way like an LR section presents itself is you pick an answer to so like, yeah, this is this weakens it. This weakens the problem. And it's only after you, you, you do the grading and you go back and you realize, wow, I had absolutely no idea what was going on here. Oh, even sure. with my my knowledge of the language, even with my knowledge of conditional reasoning or my initial foundational reasoning. And I, I think when you do that, it sets you up well to be very receptive to learning if that makes sense, how to do specific problems. And, and it, it can be, I, hey, it's a little bit motivational too. You're like, whoa, it's a little bit of a fire. <laughs> it, it lights a little bit of fire. Like, okay, I really need to cue in here. Because sometimes I do think that this test, it seems really easy when it's not, right? It's kind of, you have like this, oh, of course moment, right? Like, oh, of course it's the answer. When someone is there explaining it to you and you're watching a video. But then once you get into the water, right? And you get in the water, like, whoa, this water's cold. It's kind of choppy. <laughs> I'm getting smacked. My goggles are fogging up. And so just having that initial experience of like, hey, this is a real test and it's going to challenge you and be difficult on you mentally, maybe physically. I don't know. Hopefully not. I'll say physically, definitely, men definitely mentally. And, and just see what that's like. And then after you do that PT, guess what? You're probably not going to do that well in the PT. That's fine. No one does well on their first PT or very few people do well on their first PT. And if they are, they're probably liars. And, and that's just going to set you up for both what you need to study, which is probably going to be everything and give you that motivation to study. I should also mention there's a lot of talk, at least chatter online. And I hate going back to Reddit in the forums. Good God about, well, this happens all the time on Reddit. Like, I got a 148 on my initial PT. What's the max score I can get? Oh, God. The max score everyone can get is a 180. Everyone. I'm not even kidding. Literally everybody can get a 180. What is going to change that or whether or not you, go, you get a 180 is going to depend on multiple factors. How long you have to study, your natural receptiveness, I'd say, to learning the material. Some people pick it up faster than others. That doesn't mean that they're smarter or they are going to get a better score than you. It just means that the total time they have to spend studying and maybe the effort that gets put in is slightly less. But that doesn't mean that you're incapable then, right? If, if, if I look at someone who's just naturally so much better at this test or who scored PT higher than me, that's not to say that I'm always doomed to do worse than them on this test. Maybe it takes me a little bit longer, but I can still get there in the end. I know my PT was not particularly high. I, I think I got a, a, like a 149. And now look at you. <laughs> 
Mr. 177. What, yeah, what did you get on your on your test there, boss? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my diagnostic was a little bit higher and I scored a point or two lower than you did when you ended up taking the test. So I think that's a pretty good indication that your diagnostic is not an indicator of what your potential is, but it is important to take the diagnostic. And I think that's a, a good place to kind of take us into the next part of this conversation is like, what does that plan actually look like? Right. And it's, you start off with a diagnostic, you take it, you, you bite the bullet and you're like, I'm just going to see what this is. You go in completely blind and that's totally fine. However you score, it's 100% okay. And then from there, you can kind of see, okay, where are my strengths? Where are my weaknesses? A lot of people will start off and they'll be kind of even with the different sections and how many questions they're missing. But some people will miss way more questions on a particular section. I know for me, my logic game section was god awful. Like I, I don't think I got even a couple of questions right. Like I missed a, a vast majority of them. No one's logic game section goes well. It's always horrendous the first PT you take. You have no idea what you're doing. I've heard a couple of people just like, it just clicks and like RC was their worst section or something along those lines, which I think is, if you can intuitively do logic games, good for you. That's crazy. But from there, once you've taken the diagnostic, you can kind of proportion out where you need to mo spend most of your time doing foundational lessons on. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize is you don't have to go through the core curriculum or any type of foundational material or resource in order, right? You, you really don't have to. I would definitely recommend the way the core curriculum is set up doing all the beginning stuff, learning logic, learning the conditionals, learning all the vocab, all that stuff. But from there, right, if you're really struggling with logic games, oh my goodness, skip ahead to the logic games part and focus on that first. If RC is the one that you're really struggling with, yeah, go, you know, the RC is kind of late in the core curriculum, jump over there and figure out what's going on first. Really spend some time proportioning out your foundational lessons based on the results of your diagnostic. And before we go any further, I do want to touch on something you said earlier, Henry, that when you take your diagnostic or one of your first PTs, you feel like you've got it. And then you learn that you really don't got it. And you actually got the question wrong. It really comes full circle, I feel like, because once you get towards the end of your studying, that's what I'm telling people, like, trust yourself more, trust your instincts more, be more confident because you do got it right at one point in your studying, your intuition will be so good that you can go into it with the same confidence that you went into your diagnostic with and actually get the question right that time. So hopefully your goal, right, if that's kind of how you're feeling after taking your first PT or your diagnostic is, oh, I was way more confident than I should have been. Hopefully your goal is that later on your studying, you can really trust when you are confident and that you'll get the answer right from there. It's really a, a beautiful circle, the LSAT. So yeah, right, you're, you took the diagnostic, you've decided what sections you need to focus the most on. You're working through some kind of foundational course or lesson, learning the basics. Now you're like, okay, Asta, Henry, I know the basics. I've got a decent grasp of each of the sections. I worked through a lot of the core curriculum. What do I do now? Right? I think that kind of in the middle stage confuses a lot of people. What do you what do you typically tell people? Yeah, I guess that's like when you're no longer a total LSAT virgin is when people <laughs> begin to struggle. Well, it, it, but it's true, though, right? When you know nothing, kind of whatever you do will be helpful. And of course, you can take a look at some specific question types that you missed or some things that you are experiencing a lot of problems. But the odds are, whatever, close your eyes, throw a ball. It's going to land in something that is going to be extremely that will end up benefiting you. It's more of when you get to that phase where you have an idea of what's going on, what's happening on this test, more or less how every question goes and how every section will go. 
things get a little bit more confusing. Yeah. Because this test progress isn't very linear, right? You can't just say, I'm going to grind this problem forever, right? Or <laughs> for the next week, and I will always get it right. Yeah. There are some things that work for a lot of people, though. And the one thing, I, at least, hey, it's on the copy, but I, I would just say this from memory, too, is you, you got to get the logic games down. Yeah. Why, right? Why, why is logic games so important? Well, one, we notice at least as a tutor, and this is a common sentiment, that if, if you want to, like a unit of effort, right, we'll call it effort. <laughs> Every unit of effort you put into logic games, you tend to reap a lot more points back yeah. than something like LR or something like RC. And so it's a very efficient way to spend, expend that effort is, is looking at LG. Now there's the other side of that coin too, which is if you make a mistake in LG, it is very problematic why? Because if you mess up an inference up front, that can have negative ramifications for the next five or six questions. If you make a mistake in LR, the damage is going to be contained to that single question. One mistake in LR, it's going to, that might be one point, right? And maybe, maybe you, get, you end up getting it right, you made the mistake, but you, you guessed right, or some events, you end up getting it. With LG, if you are not, and I, I don't want to say the word perfect, but if you are not on your game, it can cascade in a negative way. If you don't do the setup right, if you miss an inference, if you miss a rule, that's gonna have neg a negative effect on your score in general. And so when I, at least when I craft a study plan, I make sure I prioritize LG as something we want to be doing a little bit of every day if possible. Absolutely. And if you're just starting, that would be where the mo most of my focus is until that gets perfect. And, and by the way, LG is something that everyone is capable of getting a minus one, minus zero on. I, I, I truly, I mean, I'd say everyone can get a 180. And I do think that in a reasonable time frame, though, <laughs> I think getting LG down to minus one, minus zero is 100% is possible. The question you're probably asking, how do you do that, though? What's the best method for this? Seven Sage has on, right? Foolproofing, which is just this idea of taking a game, doing it on, let's say, day one, and maybe you miss a couple questions. Okay, you put that game away, you come back to it in a day or two, and you do it again. And you just repeat that process until you've done that game enough times that you have this kind of muscle memory for the inferences that you have to make and, and the rules that you have to put together and stuff like that. So I, I totally, totally agree. Something that I do with a lot of my study plans as well is if you're not already at like a minus zero, minus one with games, we are doing games every single day. Even if it's your best section, right? It's just such a quick and easy way to pick up points on this test. So very early on in your studying, right? Once you get through that beginning part of the core curriculum or again, whatever resource you're using, plan out time every single day to do a little bit of logic games. And if you can do that for a couple months, I can almost guarantee that you are going to get significantly better at it. So any type of study plan that you're creating, logic games should be at kind of the forefront of it. So I really think that's important. Unless you're one of those freaks who's getting minus zero on their first go round, right? It's just doing them through intuition, in which case ignore, ignore the last three minutes. I am assuming that is not a huge, huge audience out there. But if that is you, hats off, because good God, that was not me. <laughs> so, okay, we've kind of covered that. We've got the foundations. Okay, now I'm like, I kind of know what I'm doing. I know that I need to study logic games a lot. What else, right? And for me, the biggest thing that I would recommend once you kind of get a hold of the test is taking one practice test, if you can, every single week. The way that I typically plan that out for my students is every weekend is like a PT weekend where on Saturday, we're going to take the practice test. We're going to go eat lunch and then we're going to come back and we're going to start the blind review process, which if you don't know what blind review is, we will be talking about it. But you start kind of the blind review process. It's just double checking your, your answers before you check if they're right or wrong. 
but they they take the test they eat lunch they blind review or at least start to and then the next day they'll come back and finish blind review and then start looking through the questions they got wrong and understanding why they got them wrong and in my head taking a pt should be a two-day process i don't think you should try to cram everything that comes around taking a pt in a day so if you're taking a pt every weekend then you have a lot of leeway to really kind of shape your study plan for that week around that pt so you take the pt you're like okay i'm still struggling with this part i'm going to plan some time this week to let's say you take the pt and you're really struggling with weakening questions on lr okay well i'm going to take some time to review the core curriculum on weakening questions i'm going to drill some weakening questions and then i'm going to take a pt again next week and hopefully i'm doing a little bit better with that right and kind of wash rinse repeat that process and eventually you would have mastered everything so you take the PT and then you plan over the course of the week, taking some combination of drills focused on what you got wrong in that PT, and then also doing full length sections for the par- the parts of the test that are still a little bit of a struggle for you. So that's kind of my game plan that I tell a lot of people. How does it sound to you? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. The PT every week is extremely useful as a measure of your progress and a snapshot of where you're at at that moment. I have to add that PTs aren't really studying it's mostly just to check to make sure that the studying you've been doing is working yeah it's to inform you how it's to inform the quality of your studying and whether and whether or not maybe you're connecting i shouldn't say quality but whether or not the studying you're doing is connecting and it, you're you're making that you're, you're you're getting that ability to apply it in a testing conditions so what you don't want to do is take a bunch of pts every day taking one PT a day. That's not really studying. It's not. Let's say you really need to work on weakening problems. Well, taking a PT every single day, it's a really inefficient way to get at the the four or five weakening problems that are going to be on a section. I'd rather have you just drill 20 weakening problems in a row every day and then take a PT. And hey, look, you missed no weakening problems. That's a great sign. That's working. If you miss four weakening problems, it means you need to go back to the drawing board. Something you're doing is not working. Maybe doing 15 problems every day timed is not working. You got to do five problems untimed, something like that. And then the blind review is a little bit, it it does have some studying. And we'll talk a little bit more about blind review next week. But what you want to avoid and what uh, you see this online, here here it comes again, online. Why, why Why do we have a problem with online stuff? Oh, why do we have a problem? Oh, I have a problem with online stuff. My issue with, as a little... With a little bit of a caveat, my my issue with spending a lot of time on places like Reddit to go for LSAT information is I think it can be very easy to compare yourself to an unrepresentative sample of test takers. I know that I have that problem when I was studying where I would go to Reddit to try to find tips or tricks or resources. And I'm seeing all these people who are like, I got a 172 on my practice test. I'm never going to law school. And it's like, I just got a 155. So let's relax a little bit, right? And I I think that can be really frustrating. And I also think the amount of information on Reddit can be a little bit overwhelming. I'm not saying never go on r slash LSAT. I do it a lot still. But I I think it's important to go into it with the mindset like this is not gospel, right? Like I I can maybe find a couple good things, but I will lose my sanity if I take everything that is on this godforsaken website to heart. But I I do want to touch on what you said about PTs being a snapshot of where you are, because I think that is so important and something a lot of people don't realize, something I didn't realize, right? I was one of those people who would take one, sometimes two PTs in a day when I was studying because I... How are you a tutor now? Because <sighs> I learned, <laughs> I learned, I learned from my mistakes. Yeah, you learned the hard way. I did, I did. Towards the end of my studying, once I started using 7 Sage, honestly, 
I would not recommend it to my worst enemy. But the the metaphor that we use a lot, or I hear kind of thrown around a lot at Seven Sage, is taking a PT. We can kind of compare it to if you put I don't know like a piece of steak in the oven and you stick a thermometer in there to see where it's at. Every time you put the thermometer in, the number on the thermometer is going to go up. And it's not going up because you're putting a thermometer in it, right? That's not the reason. The temperature is going up because of all of the other things happening around it. So I think a PT is the same way. Like PT is essentially sticking a thermometer in your LSAT brain and seeing where we're at. But actually taking it is not what's helping you improve. It's everything you're doing outside of that PT that's helping you improve, right? If you want it, the temperature to go up a little bit quicker, okay, I'm going to turn up the temperature of the oven, right? I'm going to do more drills and more problem sets. It's not taking a PT super, super frequently. One, you're just going to waste a whole lot of resources, which is not super helpful. And two, you're going to get really tired. And I don't think that's a good way of going about the test. So for me, one, maybe two PTs in a week is kind of my like, hard limit of what I will recommend people take. Yeah. Swimming and then steak and thermometers. Analogies. It's what it's what we do here at Seven Sage is analogies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just wait. I've got a couple more analogies that are god awful, but I think they they kind of make sense. I think it's a decent way to describe things. Yeah, it's helpful. Well, and also, hey, by the way, analogies come up all the time on this test. Arguments by analogy in reading comprehension, analogies. We're really just laying the the groundwork for you guys. And we're going to blow your minds when we get to that reading comp section. We talk about how important analogies are. But as a recap, as a recap, I, I think a good way to kind of succinctly put how to start studying for the test is deciding, okay, I'm going to start studying. Looking at the resources that are out there, again, taking a look at Seven Sages' website, seeing how awesome it is, deciding what resource you're going to use, spending a decent amount of time. Typically, if you're studying part-time, I would say spending about a month or two just working through the foundational stuff and really just making sure you understand the fundamentals of this test and then start incorporating one PT a week, preferably on the weekend, so you have a decent amount of time to really take it, review it, and then look at your wrong answers. And then after you take that PT, structuring the rest of your studying around the results of that PT. What breakdown you're going to have of drills versus time sections? Do I need to start doing some untimed work because I'm still kind of lacking on the foundations? And if you just repeat that process over and over again until test day, well, I think you're set. I think you'll get a 180 or maybe not a 180, but I think you'll do very well. I think that's kind of the best way of going about it. You'll be putting yourself in a good position to score well on test day. If you're studying not full-time, right, if you have a full-time job, then I think that that one month is a pretty good timeline of getting that foundational, those foundations down. If you, maybe it's summer and you're a student, I think you can work your way through a lot of the foundations and even the core curriculum in oh, you know, two to three weeks before you dive deeper. I think you can. Maybe this is where we disagree a little bit. Maybe we disagree. I mean, I think it really just depends on the person, right? But in my head, if you're studying part-time, right, like a couple hours a day, I I would give yourself about one to two months. And that's just like on the low end of the estimate, right, to get through the foundational stuff. I personally, when I was going through the core curriculum, was doing like six, seven-hour days. And I got through the foundational stuff that I thought that I needed in probably around a month, I think is still a good amount of time to give yourself. But Definitely can be shorter, depending on what pace you're listening at, what speed you're listening to JY's voice at, right? Like, I think it just kind of depends. But if it takes a little bit longer than that time frame, if it takes you three months or four months to get through the foundational stuff, that is so okay. Like, that is so totally fine. You really just want to give yourself as much time as you possibly can to, to let everything marinate a little bit in your brain is kind of how I would put it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Back to steak. I don't even eat I don't even eat red meat. 
I've never had steak a day in my life. Asta's putting thermometers in people's brains. Just so for those maybe who are unclear, like foundation, foundational being like the grammar of the test, the, the terminology, the what conditional reasoning is, how to negate. Is, is, am I correct in saying that? I agree. I think the only thing I would maybe add to that is what are the general strategies that you need for each section, right? Like how do I approach each type of game? How do I, do I know the differences between a science passage and an art passage? Do I know how to recognize a weakening question or do I know how to recognize maybe a sufficient assumption question versus a necessary assumption question, right? Like I think those things are also included in foundations before I would feel super comfortable taking full length PTs every week. Yeah, full length PTs and really diving into studying. You don't want to just jump into a question type, get really good at weakening questions, and then have no idea what you're doing on a necessary assumption question. There is overlap, too, between the questions. I will say that, but it's better to have that foundation to begin with and then take that general form of arguments and that foundational reasoning that you have and apply that and refine that to different question types instead of having your own process for every single question type. Is that, is that correct? I think that's totally fair. And I, I really like the way that you kind of adopted my, my swimming analogy earlier, where by the time you start taking PTs and doing drills and pool sections, you don't want to be drowning, right? Like it shouldn't feel like you're drowning. You should know enough that you're just kind of floating. You don't have to be Michael Phelps, right? When you first start out. But if you're taking these PTs and you're like, good God, I know absolutely nothing about what's going on here. Okay, maybe you should give yourself a little bit more time to work through the foundations. And I think that's a really good way to kind of set up a study plan. The last thing that I do want to add to that is a lot of people ask me the question of how long does it take to study for this test? And the answer to that question, I'm not even trying to be annoying, is it really depends. It really depends on a lot of things. Oh, a non-answer. A non-answer. I know, and I'm sorry. but I'll say. give you an answer. More than three months. I think so. I think so, too. There are some other test prep service companies that say three months is about all you need. Maybe if you're not shooting for the stars. Maybe if you're willing to settle. Do you want to be the kind of lawyers that settle or take it to trial? That's what I'm trying to understand here. You want to take it to trial? Good you God. come ride with Seven Sage. <laughs> I mean, like, no matter... But to be serious, I, I, I do think more than three months is... I don't want to... It's not necessary, but it's necessary for getting a score that is as close as possible to your true potential, right? Maybe you have an idea of a goal score that you want, 165. Totally possible to get that within three months. But if I'm tutoring someone and they get a 165 in three months, I, I say, let's shift the goalposts a little. Let's let's aim for that 170 plus. Let's study another month or two. And you would be amazed at the results you could get and just what you're capable of by adding that additional month and, and not feeling as though, oh, for three months is up, this is my this is my cap. For sure. Does that make sense? Do you do it? Would you agree with that? I think that's a beautiful way of putting it, right? I don't think that people should necessarily be so fixated on a number, even though I know with law schools and, and rankings and medians, it's really easy to do that. But if you really just work towards getting the highest score that you possibly can, right, whatever your potential is, I think that's the best way to go about start studying for this test. And the more that you kind of hold yourself to a specific number, the harder it is to get there, in my opinion, right? If you're just working on getting as good at this test as you possibly can, whatever your potential is, whatever score you are meant to get will happen. For me, three months, I totally agree, is I think a, a rush. I think it's hard to score to the highest of your potential if you're only studying for three months. I typically tell people six is kind of my minimum, right? I think to, to really do well six months, I mean, 
spend score to the highest of your potential. And that number is different for everybody, right? I know people who have spent three years studying for this test, and I know people who have spent six weeks studying for this test. Like, it really just kind of depends on a lot of different things. But don't sell yourself short. If you know that you need to take this test by November of 2023 to apply for that cycle, don't start studying in August. Don't do that to yourself. That just sounds painful. That sounds so difficult to do. Give yourself some time. Give yourself some flexibility there. Or how about this? If you're planning on doing that, let's say it's January, you say, I'm going to start studying in August. Take that PT tomorrow. Yeah. And then and then tell me you will start studying in August. <laughs> you, it won't happen. It won't happen. It just won't happen. You take that PT, you'll realize, oh, wait a minute. This test could ruin me. But that's going to give you the fire to turn around and ruin that test. <laughs> I think that's a great way of putting that's it. What, that's what we're here about. That's what we're all about here. You know, not settling, taking it to trial and ruining the enemy. I think that's a little bit more violent than I maybe expected this podcast to be, but I, I do, I do totally agree. So hopefully that gives you guys all that you need to kind of hit the ground running, start studying and have, have a vision for what the end of this kind of looks like, right? And if you can do that, just have a vision for how you want this to end, what you're going to do in the meantime, and have the motivation to really, really learn to master this test. I think you'll be good. I think you're in a really good spot. What do you think? Yeah, I 100% agree. Get that foundational stuff out of the way and then uh, take that PT and then and then hit the ground running. I'm Henry Ewing. I'm Austin Sonata. For more information about the LSAT, visit sevensage.com. See you next week.